Christmas is all about fulfilled promises. One Bible dictionary defines a promise this way, a solemn pledge to perform or grant a specified thing. God did not have to promise anything to sinful people, but the fact that almost all biblical promises are those made by God to human beings indicates that his nature is characterized chiefly by grace and faithfulness. Welcome to On Mission, the preaching ministry of Edgewood Baptist Church in Rock Island. When we gather together, we meet on 38th Street. And when we're scattered, we strive to live on mission all over the Quad Cities area. Our topic today is Hope Experienced. Our main idea is this, no matter what happens, hold on to hope. We're beginning a brand new series, we're calling it The Promise. Christmas can be summarized with four words, promises made, promises kept. A promise is an assurance that certain things will come to pass. Though I haven't been able to verify this, some have suggested there may be as many as 30,000 promises in the Bible. The Bible is full of the promises of God. And not one of them has ever been broken. Our promise today has to do with hope. It's found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able, and let's give honor to God's word by reading our passage together. We often remind ourselves, and it's good to be be reminded that this is no ordinary book, is it? Actually, this book is alive. That's what the book of Hebrews says. It's alive, it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it, it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. This is powerful, very powerful book. This book is inspired, it's inerrant, and we come underneath its authority now. Let's read it with reverence, but also with rejoicing. But there'll be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You can be seated. God, we've seen your word with our eyes, we've heard it uh, come in through our ears, we've spoken it with our mouths, Uh, but Lord, now we are in learner role, we are in disciple role, we want to follow you, we want to understand the scriptures, so Holy Spirit, be our teacher, help us not only to understand the sense and the meaning Uh, But Lord, we're going to look forward to how you're going to take your living and active word and apply it uh, to each of us in different ways, in different settings, in different places in life, but all for your glory. Lord, we need to be changed, and we pray now that you would use your word to do so as your Holy Spirit does his work. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Here's our main point today. No matter what happens, hold on to hope. Some of you really need to hear that today. You maybe even surprised yourself that you came to church today, maybe because you don't feel much hope. 
You look around in our culture, you look inside your own heart, but God's brought you here and let's see what God has for us today. In Genesis chapter 12, God selected Abraham, known first as Abram, to be the grand patriarch of a special nation. He became the father of Isaac, who became the father of Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. Their families grew and turned into tribes. Benjamin and Judah settled in the south around Jerusalem. The other 10 put down roots in the north. Now, the 12 tribes were united for many years, but when King Solomon died, a rupture occurred. The 10 northern tribes split off from the two southern ones, and the northern tribes became known as the nation of Israel, and the southern tribes made up the nation of Judah. Now, it didn't take long for the 10 tribes in the north to go south figuratively. Uh, They started worshiping idols. And with that came immorality. They became increasingly depraved, and they eventually, check this out, they made an alliance with Syria, a pagan country. They got together in order to attack Judah, their brothers and sisters. Well, and as you can imagine, if you lived in the south, you would be stirred up. You would be afraid. And so God raised up a prophet, he raised up multiple prophets, but he raised up the prophet Isaiah to give them a message of hope. And that message of hope is found in Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah also predicted that these northern tribes, well, they would be destroyed by the Assyrians. Now, this came to pass. The 10 northern tribes were decimated, dispersed to distant lands. Perhaps you've heard of the 10 lost tribes of Israel. It's referring to these 10 tribes in the north. This area to the north was filled with darkness. It was filled with distress, deep despair. And sometimes our culture feels like that, doesn't it? Just so much darkness Now, all of this is real history, but it also describes what has happened to the entire human race. God made us to have a relationship with him. We've all turned and served other gods, leaving us hopeless and helpless in the dark, if you will. Now, we get a snapshot of their situation in the society. If you go back just one verse, notice verse 22 of Isaiah 8. And they will look to the earth. But behold, here's what they see, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they'll be thrust into thick darkness. Well, that's kind of at this level. Let's go down a little deeper. Let's look at some of these words. The word distress speaks of extreme affliction and discomfort. The idea of gloom is dimness and despair. Anguish refers to restriction. It was used of water turning to ice, which was a metaphor for their frozen faith. And as a result, we read that God thrust them out into deep darkness, meaning that God banished them by driving them away. 
That's the bad news. I can't wait for us to hear the good news. Number one, Jesus brings us from gloom to gladness. Into a situation filled with grief and gloom, Isaiah announces a message of grace, a message of glory. Let's hear it again, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, so a while ago, years ago, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Okay, put that in your mind. We'll come back to that. Notice how this verse begins. It begins with the word but. It's making a contrast to what we had just read in the last verse of, ver- or last verse of Isaiah chapter 8. In contrast to all that darkness and despair. Zebulun and Naphtali were tribes from the north of Israel making up the land of Galilee. The territory of Zebulun was located near major trade routes. Now, the tribe of Zebulun, they did a lot of good things, but they compromised because they lived near the Canaanites and they started taking on the culture around them, which is, we're tempted to do that all the time as well. So that's Zebulun. Naphtali, the tribe of Naphtali experienced lots of struggles in large part because of their proximity to Syria. Now, for many years, these people knew only darkness and despair. God repeatedly warned them. He called them back. He wooed them as his people, come back, come back. And then he called them to repent. He warned them of coming judgment. But the people persisted in their idolatry. They persisted in their immorality. So God sent the evil Assyrians to assault them. Now, because these tribes were the furthest north, they were the first to be attacked and then deported, scattered by the Assyrians. In the middle of all this mess, Isaiah preaches the promise of future hope and healing. A time will come when great gloom will be replaced with glorious gladness, where? In Galilee of the Gentiles. You know, for the last several years, whenever I hear or say the word Christmas, I've been trying to mispronounce it. Because it reminds me that Christ came into our mess. Christmas was and is birthed in the middle of great grief. Some of you are there today. Right into the middle of deep darkness. While the angels are proclaiming peace on earth, Herod is butchering babies in Bethlehem. While Mary was worshiping, other mothers were weeping for their children. You see, Christmas joy is best understood when the mess of life is all around us. Gladness comes when we're grieving. Friend, no matter what's happening in your world, hold on to hope. Secondly, Jesus moves us from deep darkness to loving light. I'm in verse 2, the people who walked in darkness, they've seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So while people were walking in the light, sudden, or walking in the dark, suddenly a great light appeared and it dispelled the darkness. We can't find the light on our own. So the light comes to us. Isaiah 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now, we come to the New Testament. It's clear that Matthew had this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9, written 700 years earlier in mind. Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 4. I can't wait for you to see this because you're going to You're about to worship. Now, when he heard that he is Jesus, that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. You ready for some spiritual goosebumps? Well, let me rephrase it. Some of you came in here doubting. And you're like, I don't know if I believe the Bible's true. Listen, this prophecy given 700 years ago was fulfilled. Check this out. Nazareth is where Jesus grew up and is in Zebulun. Capernaum, which became the headquarters of Jesus' ministry, is in the land of Naphtali. All of Jesus' disciples, except for Judas, came from Galilee. So the fact that Jesus grew up in Nazareth and lived in Capernaum is a direct fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9. And that is clear. Notice the phrase, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Incidentally, Isaiah chapter 7 through 11 is the heart of what scholars refer to as the section of Emmanuel. Oh, watch this. The main point is that Jesus, who is Emmanuel, the son of David, is beginning the restoration of the Davidic kingdom at ground zero where God's covenant judgment had fallen seven centuries before. Are you worshiping yet? It's incredible. Promises made and promises kept. All right, in your mind, go back to Isaiah chapter 9. Let's fast forward from there 700 years to see how that promise was kept through an encounter Simeon had with the infant Jesus. In the first part of Luke chapter 2, we read about the birth of Jesus. The angels have gone back to heaven. We presume the shepherds are back with their sheep. But there's more to the Christmas narrative. Uh, Listen to verses 21 to 24 at the end of eight days when he, Jesus, was circumcised. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young 
pigeons. Now, there's a lot going on there. There's different aspects of the Old Testament law that are intertwined in these verses. First of all, in Genesis chapter 17, all all uh, children, male children, were to be circumcised and given their names on the eighth day after birth. That likely took place in Bethlehem. After waiting 40 days after the birth of a son, according to Leviticus 12, mothers were to present themselves in the temple for purification. And Exodus 13 required that a mother and father bring their firstborn son before the Lord to be redeemed by the offering of a sacrifice. This act of worship commemorated how God spared the lives of Israel's firstborn sons when they put blood, the blood of a lamb, on their doorposts. Now, this passage gives us insight into the financial situation of Joseph and Mary. Leviticus 12 says, when a woman comes for her purification, she was to bring a lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon for a sin offering. If, however, she could not afford a lamb, she could bring two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Or two pigeons. So we know they didn't have much money. It's at this point... Simeon enters the storyline. I like how one pastor captured the scene. Mary and Joseph are there with hundreds of other moms and dads presenting their babies, and an old guy suddenly runs up to them, grabs their baby, and starts singing. (laughs) I wonder about that. How did Mary feel when this guy took her baby? Well, maybe she saw that Simeon looked harmless and Maybe she was actually okay with it because since Jesus was born, strangers were coming up to him and breaking out into worship. Simeon's name means God hears, but we don't know anything about his background. We don't know his hometown, his education, or even his occupation. Uh, We think or assume he was a priest, although the text doesn't explicitly say so. We also believe he was an old man, but we can't be certain of that either. Luke recounts the narrative. Join me in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We learn a few things here. First, he was just and he was devout. His character and his conduct were God-honoring. He lived carefully and reverently. Notice next, he was waiting for the Messiah to come. Uh, Luke uses a word of anticipation. It means to be alert to his appearance, ready to welcome him. It's the sort of waiting which comes from deep pain. Simeon's hope was birthed out of deep hurt. Notice the next word. What's he waiting for? Consolation. Comfort. That means encouragement or comfort. Isaiah 40 verse 1 says, comfort, comfort my people. Isaiah 61 2 promises comfort to all who mourn. So he's longing for comfort. He's longing for consolation. I mean, I think of the accumulated pain and grief right here in this room. And if we could add it all up and just taste it, we'd go, we wouldn't be able to handle it. I mean, I think of the Bullock family. And Marge went to glory just a few days ago. And that funeral will be on Wednesday. And some of you have lost a loved one this year. 
Some of you very recently. Others of you have lost a loved one a while ago. But that pain and loss comes up, especially during this time of year. And my mom died a year ago Friday. And so I was up in Wisconsin hanging out with my dad and, and my four sisters. Simeon is putting into words, he's waiting for comfort. And you look around in our culture today, there isn't much comfort. There's so much pain. Isaiah 61.2 promises comfort to all who mourn. Finally, he was a spirit-led man. The Holy Spirit is mentioned three times in three consecutive verses. And so somehow, Simeon was assured he would not die until he had seen the Savior. Early every morning, Simeon went to the temple, watching and waiting for Emmanuel to appear. He was keeping hope alive because he knew that one day God would keep his promise to redeem and to restore and to revive Israel. I mean, we don't know for sure, but he might have been going to the temple for months, years, maybe decades. Some of you know what that's like. You've been waiting a long, long time for something. I wonder if he was singing this Christmas song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and do what? Ransom Israel. How how would he know him? What would he look like? I wonder if each time a young couple came into the temple, he whispered to himself like, is this the one? His anticipation was no doubt intense. And suddenly, Simeon's heart leaps within him. The long days of waiting were finally over. Look at verse 28. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. Verse 29, Lord, now, like right now, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. When Simeon took the infant Jesus in his arms, he said, Lord, now I'm ready to go home. Now I can die in peace. You're not ready to die until you've received Jesus and trusted him as your savior. Listen, if you come to the end and you've never received the salvation that Jesus offers, you've basically wasted your years upon this earth and you'll spend eternity apart from God. Simeon took Jesus personally in his arms. And so you too must personally receive Jesus. John 1.12 says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Let me say it like this. If you want to hope again, make sure you're born again. While our world is dark, the deepest darkness resides inside of each of us. If you're tired of dwelling in despair, it's time to repent. Believe Jesus died in your place and receive the light of the world into your life. If you're ready to be transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, you will experience hope. Please pray with me. Jesus, I'm tired of dwelling in the dark. I confess that because of my sinfulness, 
I've just been stumbling through life. I repent of how I've been living. Thank you for coming down into our world and for dying on the cross as my substitute and for rising again on the third day. I believe you are Lord and you are light and I now receive you into my life. Please save me from my sins and be my savior and give me what I need to live under your leadership for the rest of my life. Amen. Thanks for joining us for On Mission. If you'd like to listen to this message again, you can download episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts by going to edgewoodbaptist.net. We'd love to have you as a guest at one of our three weekend services, Saturday at 5 or Sunday at 9 or 1045. My name is Matt Williams, and I'm a member of Edgewood. Ethan Curry, also an Edgewood member, is serving as the producer of this program. We look forward to connecting with you again next weekend as we learn more about how to live on mission. Until then, go deep in God's Word and keep applying it to your world. On Mission is furnished by Edgewood Baptist in Rock Island, Illinois.